Hey everyone, my name's Kyle. I surf, I make movies, and I love asking questions. These are conversations with fascinating people I meet along the way. People ask me all the time how I come up with ideas for the stories that I'm a part of, and the answer is different every time. In the case of the inception for the story I did on Wild Pig and the impact they're having on Hawaii's coral reefs, I was having a drink with a friend of mine who's an oceanographer at Louis Bueno's Bar and Grill in Oahu, and he told me about it. And then I kept asking follow-up questions, and that expanded into what became a short documentary. You can check that story out on my website, kyle.surf slash blog. Um, or in the case of the story I did on the Indonesia trash epidemic. I didn't actually know that I was going to be doing that story until I was in Indonesia. I was on a surf trip, but I had a camera, and then I started to learn about it, and I started asking more questions and filmed for a couple days, brought all that footage home, and then uh, edited it and released it. That video is now has about almost a million views on YouTube, and there was no pre-production involved in that. So the answer is different every time, and in the case of the most recent story that was released on the indigenous conflict happening in southern Chile with the Mapuche, my girlfriend actually came up with the idea. She was the one who initially did research, and we were planning on going down to Chile anyway. We pitched it to Seeker Network. They gave us the thumbs up, and she was the one who ended up filming most of the story. We reached out to a Chilean journalist by the name of Nicolas Rios, who was one of the only people who had covered anything about the conflict. We met up with him in Santiago. We all drove about five hours south to Coipui, uh, in the heart of the conflict, and that's how the story ended up happening. And the reason that I say this is because it really was just a series of asking one question after the next. It was a series of reaching out to someone and then them having a new lead for us and the story was recently released and you can check it out on my website kyle.surf slash blog this podcast episode is a little different from normal ones it's shorter and it is a skype call with that chilean journalist nicholas rios about the current state of the conflict and the behind the scenes the making of how he got involved with this story initially so if you're looking for something that's a little bit more long form, uh, maybe check out the episode I did with Peter Mel, the WSL broadcaster, or the episode that I did with Jim Fadiman on the medical benefits of psychedelics. People seem to be really enjoying those. But if you are in to learn about this behind-the-scenes story, fasten your seatbelt and please welcome Nicholas Rios. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Nicholas, when someone asks you what you do, how do you answer that question? 
I am a journalist. <laughs> that's what I studied. That's what I do for a living. Uh, I try to, t but if we try to go even like deeper into my into what I do, I try to tell stories. That's what I'm passionate about. Yeah, and what kind of stories have you been working on recently? Um, recently, uh, the, last, the latest stories I've been working on are Mapuche stories, uh, are stories about um, environmental issues, human rights. Um, recently, meaning the, the last two or three months, I haven't been able to to work in these stories though because I just got a new job here in in, in Chile but um, what I always try to do is to tell stories that are untold uh, that people haven't heard enough or haven't heard about so I think that um, a great thing about what I do for a living that that is journalism is to be able to reach audiences with with a, men, a meaningful message and that can be, of course, um, indigenous rights, human rights, environmental issues, something that can touch people's lives in a, in, in a way on, or another, I think. Why did you, um, why are you so passionate about this, um, about the, the Mapuche story? How did you get involved with that? I used to, I used to work for Vice. Uh, I started working um, as a as a freelance journalist for Vice magazine, then uh, to Vice.com, and then I ended up in Vice News, and they they offered me to cover uh, that story um, for them, and it, that that was a chance that I never had in Chile media. <clears throat> that 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 matter in the, the Mapuche conflict. That's an indigenous conflict for those who don't know what it is. Um, uh, that 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 matter is not that covered here in Chile. It just, they mainly the, the legacy media only cover um, violence and not the roots of the, of that violence that is going on here in Chile. And that's why um, that opportunity that that opportunity that Vice gave me uh, a couple of years ago and uh, until a couple of months ago, maybe last the latest story was last published a couple of months ago um, that, that opportunity was amazing because it gave me the opportunity to travel south to see the story firsthand and to then, and to then uh, portray these um, stories into a, into a picture that I wanted to create to, to tell the, the human stories to tell how people are suffering even though they are from different parts of this conflict yeah. Um, for people who don't know, um, give me a little bit of, of background into what it's like when you um, went down there for the first time. Well, for people who don't know, uh, there is a conflict uh, conflict here in southern Chile because of land rights. First came the Spanish Empire, the, the Spanish uh, conquerors, and they took away... A lot of land from the original indigenous tribes who were living here. They were called Mapuche. And then uh, when Chile got its independence, Chile uh, went even further south to what it was called as the Mapuche Kingdom, uh, if we call it that way, but it was an autonomous region. It was not part of Chile, so it didn't get independence back then in 1910. 
um, a couple of maybe 70 years later, Chile as a, as a brand new state invaded this part of, of South America. And and then it all began. Then um, Chile conquered this, this part. It, uh, Chile imp- created new cities, imposed new rules. And of course, um, a couple of maybe two or three decades later, Chile even opened up offices in Europe to to bring people to to settle here in southern Chile. So that um, that was the main problem and the root of the problem that we live now because Chile as a state gave uh, property rights to these settlers mainly from Switzerland and Germany and they of course now have these rights. They are the they are the owners of the very um, very large amount of uh, land, and they are in conflict with the original owners of this of this uh, of this place. That happened to be the Mapuche tribes. So what happens now is that um, the Mapuche people are trying are claiming. Um, that the, this land is theirs, but of course, more than a hundred years have, have happened. So, what what the, what Chile's Chilean state is doing is that they are playing law, and this this means that whenever a Mapuche tries to enter this um, private property, they are basically getting in jail. And what you what you see whenever you go there is a, um, a heavy armed police. Uh, what you see there is that in in very small towns, uh, we went. I went with you back uh, down there to the city of Coyipuyi. It was a small town. It was a mainly peaceful town in in downtown of Coyipuyi, and it was full of police people, full of police forces, trucks, and I don't know these uh, water cannon vehicles and different kind of police. Um, Vehicles and it was like a military force, you know. Um, but on the other hand, you have um, these these settlers that who are not the original ones, but the relatives. They are the, the great, their grand, their great sons and great daughters, and they they claim property rights also. They say, "Hey, I was born here in this in this piece of land. My parents were born here. My grandparents were were born here. We um, we turned this piece of land that was just forest into an agricultural industry that is creating jobs, that is um, giving the state money by taxes. So they also have a point, you know, what." So what's going on here is that we we are in, in like in a in a frozen point of that no one is getting any further because uh, we are stuck there. And it seems and, and it seems like in southern Chile. Yeah. Sorry, and and it seems like the one of the big issues is the heavy-handedness of the military down there because it is so far away from big cities. When we went down there, we were the only ones with a camera. Um, it seemed like yeah. in the whole town and there were military vehicles um, on just about every corner. Do you think that there is some kind of leftover hard handedness from the Pinochet era that's ha- happening down there? 
well, it was not actually military vehicles, but police vehicles. They just ha- they just happened to see like military, uh, and that is a problem, of course, because you have um, you have a, an area of Chile that is actually having problem problems with violence, and you are attacking that violence with actually more violence. So yeah, of course, Chile has um, a very respectful image of the military forces and the police agencies because of the Pinochet era, because people here are basically afraid of them. Um, the Pinochet dictatorship was a dictatorship that that was that controlled the whole country in a board of, of the uh, senior members of the three armed forces, meaning uh, the the Air Force, the Navy, and the 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 army uh, and uh, we uh, and police and carabineros what's called here with that's the police force so these four senior senior members of the armed forces basically control the the, the country for 17 years that's a long time they torture people um they, they disappear people so here in chile um we kind of have a lot of respect maybe fear of the military. Whenever happens, whenever terrible, something terrible happens, um, some people say, "Hey, let's bring military uh, personnel to the to the streets." And that is something really, really that's that's an issue here. I mean, you don't bring military, you don't deploy military units um, just for no reason. In Mexico, they do that, and it was crazy for me. In Mexico, they they bring military and navy units uh, to to protect. I don't know, maybe a, a soccer match or or a, a celebration, a carnival. That's something that's not going to be here, not going to be seen here in Chile. Because the fact that whenever like the military are deployed, that means that something terrible has happened. You know, what's the current state of being? A journal, a journalist in Chile. It's basically fine here. We have a lot of uh, freedom of press. Um, you don't, you basically won't get arrested for for investigating for uh, researching. Maybe you won't get funding. That's a problem because the main the main the the main uh, media outlets in newspapers in TV channels are in radio are owned by very very important businessmen who happen to be the same owners as of this of the most important industries here in chile and so and logging is one of them and the logging industry is um one of the main reasons for the conflict in the south right now have you found it to be an underexposed issue because there's so much uh special interest involved in this um, I mean, when for, I, I mean, for, like when I was when I was researching this story and when yeah. I when I got in touch with you, you were one of the only people who came up as a journalist who was covering um, this conflict. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think that there is maybe there is there is a lack of will, there is a lack of funding that might be come from up in the industry chain. 
into the logging industry, of course. Um, the logging industry is very is very powerful. They, the the owners of these companies are the same ones who donate for presidential campaigns, the same ones who happen to to buy commercial spots at a time for in television in newspapers. So yeah, that might be some reason why I'm the the only few, one of the few journalists covering this these issues. Yeah. Um, what is it? But, go go for yeah. it. What were we gonna say? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I just don't think that there is a lack of freedom of press. But of course, the the thing of funding is um, a ba- uh, a basic problem for anyone who wants to cover it. Yes. Yes. Um, bring me into back into the situation of what it's been like for you to take multiple trips down to the south um, and form some relationships with people both who are Mapuche as well as pe- uh, people who are farmers and landowners? Well, it's difficult because um, in both sides, they are very re- uh, reluctant. They don't want to to get in, in touch with the media because me- the Mapuches in, in the Mapuches think that all the journal all journalists are um, are part of the media legacy media who happen to sometimes criminalize their movement. Um, and on the other hand, the landowners think that we don't cover enough these issues. So nobody's really happy with what the media is doing. Um, it's difficult to get into them because Mapuches have a long, a long time um, resistance to Chilean people. Uh, so if you're a Chilean, if you look like a Chilean natural, then it's going to be rather difficult to get into these groups. It's something that you have to work on. It's something that you have to uh, give time. Uh, you have to dedicate some time of your of your free time in in order to to get to know them, to get them to know you, to get them to trust you. So um, it's difficult to get good material, to get good stories if you just go for a day or two. So I, I've taken like four, maybe six trips down there. And some people already know me in both sides of the aisle. When we went down to Koipui together, I was blown away by your skills to get in the door with people on both sides of the issue and was really impressed with your ability as a producer. And I'm wondering what skills you think that you have that make you um, as good as you are. I think that a key for good journalism is to dedicate, dedicate time to it. Uh, if you just go and travel to some place, and if uh, if you want to try to make a good documentary or a good piece of journalistic journalism for a newspaper or something like that, the best stories are gonna come up whenever whenever you get trust from your sources. So I think that my main skills are just that I dedicate time when when we would travel south to Koyipuyi together. Um, we even had to talk to people for an hour before we started shooting. You, do you remember that very scared, scared woman who was reluctant to let us record her, her house? Well, we've, we sorted that out by just talking, talking for an hour, talking to let them express their fears and emotions so they get to know us 
So to get to know that we want just to tell stories uh, in a in a neutral way, not not being um, not leaning on one side in, in particular. So maybe whenever you whenever people try to have good stories in in journalism, it's because they have either the time to spend with their sources or good field journalists or good field producers who who already know uh, how to get to know people who or who already know how what's the sense what's what what how people um, how people think in these new areas so that's a key I think for a good journalism piece uh, in particular, I think that the, the most important thing for a producer or a journalist is to um, to get trust, to get confidence, to get to to get your sources to know you before you know them. Yeah, you don't uh, need to be covering such a dangerous issue, though, and I and I am curious what it is deeper inside of you that um, has drawn you to this issue and has drawn you to, to go back down again and again and keep covering it. That's right. I don't need to do it um, because I have my like everyday job uh, here in Santiago. I don't need to travel south. Um, even the first time I, I, I traveled there, I had to get off my job at 7 p.m., then take a bus at 10, get there at 6 a.m., work for a couple of days, then come back overnight, and then go go to CNN and, and, try and work here. So it's been a very tiring journey, I think. And what drives me to do that is that I think that there is an issue that is not being covered enough by legacy media. And I think that uh, I can do some change. Maybe by telling stories, and again, uh, that's my goal in life. Uh, by telling stories, maybe you can do, you can get people to know this issue. And if you get people to uh, know more, maybe change can be done. Uh-huh. Uh, it's something like what happens with with uh, LGBT rights. If you try to expose and try to show normality um, in, in, in LGBT rights, then you maybe normalize it. And by normalize it, you can try to, to get people to understand it. That's, that's what I basically try to do here. Nice. And why do you think that uh, people outside of Chile should care about this issue? Because it's human rights, and human rights are something that everyone should care about, either here in Chile, in the States, or anywhere in the world. Uh, here, um, human rights are being um, are being taken away uh, from a lot of indigenous people because they were they, their land actually was t- taken away, and I'm not talking about like one or two or three hectares or. Um, I'm not talking about a, a small piece of land. I'm talking about like um, two or three regions in Chile. It's a region similar to that one state in this in the United States. So we're talking about uh, about huge amount of square kilometers here, and people have been ripped off that right. Uh, they don't get recognized. They don't get recognition from the state about what happened. And on the other hand, uh, the actual, the actual la- uh, landowners are getting uh, suffer violence. 
So there is something that is being unattended here by political authorities, and I think that's because it's not, um, it doesn't do well in, in the polls, you know. You have to, here you have to invest money to give people some money or territory back. Uh, either landowners, maybe they they can get paid a lot of money, and maybe you can give some, some land back to Mapuche. No matter what happens, you have to invest money into solving this crisis and that's not being done what what government uh, governmental authorities are actually doing now they're trying to apply the current law so they're sending more and more police officers to try to reduce this tension but it's never going to happen because um Mapuches tell their grand, their sons and their and, and daughters that these lands are theirs and whenever you Whenever you you grow up with with anger, then it's gonna it's not gonna go away easily. So there is got to be um, a central government response to this, and it's not happening at the moment. What do you think will create that response? What needs to happen? Um, at the beginning of this uh, governmental administration, they appointed. Um, as in Chile, we don't elect uh, governors as you guys do in the in the states. We like the central president, yeah. Now Michelle Bachelet, and they have the right to appoint governors, regional government governors. And she appointed a Mapuche gover governor for the first time, and he created um, a plan. Uh, she created a plan that uh, even that plan even had. Um, a restitutional process for for Mapuches. Um, it was uh, a, a process in, w in which uh, Mapuches were getting were getting some land back. Of course, it was going to still be part of Chile, but it, it was going to be their land. Uh, they were even getting a congressional representation. And they were going to get some some members of the chamber, uh, but he was he was fired after a couple of months. And they appointed um, a Chilean, full, Chile, full Chilean governor who even denied that there is a, such a thing as Mapuche conflict. He said that there is a few ones trying to make um, violence, that there is no such a thing as Mapuche conflict, that, and that, that, that the violence can be solved just by police reinforcing. So I think that there is a plan, there is a way out, um, but it's not getting heard by authorities. A couple of weeks ago, though, the president of uh, President Bachelet uh, recognized that there is uh, there is going to be some announcement in the coming months, and that will uh, include uh, congressional representation for Mapuches and for indigenous in, in in general here in Chile. So we have to wait and see what happens. Nice, nice, um, great man. Well. I uh, I commend you on your work down there, and I'm I'm happy and <laughs> honored to know you. Um, and I hope that you enjoy this piece uh, when it comes out next week. Is there anything else that you think that people need to know, um, or or anything like that before we before we hop off the call? Um, yeah, I think that there is um, a growing interest in, uh, thanks to internet, there's been um, a growing interest in social issues 
um, here in Latin America, most mostly to indigenous tribes. That's going on. That's been going on in Mexico. That's been going on in Chile, in Peru, even Bolivia. Elected their own indigenous president. I think that's a good thing that internet is helping this movement to um, to go bigger because for years and even centuries, this population is one of the have been one of the most endangered populations in the world. If we count how many indigenous people died during the conquest, uh, uh, we, during the like what the Spanish Empire did here, um, we can call it like the the greatest killings maybe of all times, uh, along with what happened in Africa and Asia. Um, uh, so I think that the regional owners of land here in Latin America as a whole should be respected and should have a voice. Um, we have um, we have a we have real and living indigenous communities living in Brazil, Bolivia, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, Chile. Not so much in Argentina, but there is some, um, and they have to be heard. They have to respect, be respected, and they have to be part of the of the country as a whole because they were here before with it. So I think that that's a message. There is a lot to do. There is a lot to to work on, but uh, little by little, maybe we can do it. Excellent, man. Well, hey, man, where can people get in touch with you if they want to be following your excellent journalism? You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I mostly tweet in Spanish, but sometimes whenever something happens, I also tweet in English. Uh, that's um, my Twitter, prof- Twitter profile, Nico. N-I-C-O Rios, like my last name, R-I-O-S, altogether, Nico Rios. And that's the same profile for Instagram. Of course, you can you can follow me in both uh, platforms. You can write me, and I will be happy to answer any question or hint that may, may come up. Fantastic. Great, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I hope to see you in human form before too long. Uh, mm-hmm. And until then, I'll I'll let you get off because I know that it's it's getting late there. And I really appreciate your time. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nicholas. You can head over to my website, kyle.surf slash blog to check out the full short documentary. And if you like this podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes, share it with a friend. Until next time, have a fantastic day.